gospel unity within within the church and, and gospel mission uh, to the world, right? Those two phrases, gospel unity within the church and gospel mission to the world. These two things are the two greatest concerns throughout this pastoral letter, which is Romans, that we've been studying for over a year now at the bridge. It's these two things, gospel unity within the church, gospel mission to the world. So the two greatest concerns throughout this letter from Paul to the church in Rome. And make no mistake, although we call it the book of Romans, it is a very personal pastoral letter to a church that Paul has been a part of, even though he's never been there. He was a part of establishing it through other people that he undiscipled and equipped and sent. He loves it. You can read through it that there's great affection and desire for it. He has never been there, but he just can't wait to get there. So this is a pastoral letter, and Paul wants to see gospel unity within and gospel mission to the world. And you got to think at the time, if you don't know this church, it was a church made up of Jews and Gentiles. If you don't know what that is, Jews are the people of Israel. Gentiles are everything else. Uh, again, just a quick history snapshot. What had happened is that the church in Rome was established by, by kind of Jewish missionaries, but then Rome sent out all the people, they sent out all the Jews. So then for five years, the Christian church went on, the church in Christ, the people of the way went on, but it got less Jewishy as it went. You know, kind of their, their history and their traditions kind of got you know removed. And then after about five years, they were allowed back in, and now they're like, wait a second, what is this? And then, so then there's this clash of culture, this clash of people and kind of expectations and history and cultural norms of them trying to find this new reality and one that's not defined by either of their histories, but their present identity and reality in Christ. And so that's, that's, that's what this letter is driving towards, is how do we have unity within the church and then the necessity of living out gospel mission to the world and so they were living also in a very secular environment. Again, if you think about they were in Jerusalem, there's a context for Christianity because Christianity came out of Israel. It came out of the, the Old Covenant. It was all pointing to Jesus. Jesus fulfilled it. But they're in Rome. So very secular culture. So just to bring you some connection points, that'd be very similar, very, very familiar maybe for what you encounter more and more every day. And so the way that Paul set out to do this, to bring gospel unity within the church and to compel the church to live out gospel mission to the world, he did this through focusing on Jesus. And I wish that Sanj were here because this is where I would say, like Sanj said, I'm going to say it anyway, so now you can tell him, keep it Jesus. Like, right? That's like, like Sanj's life hashtag. Just keep it Jesus. And, and so Paul did this through through focusing on Christ, on how our salvation, our justification, our right standing before God is achieved in Jesus, and then we are given new life, not just for eternity, but for a present reality and purpose to live out the life of Christ. So Jesus, he showed us how to live as well as gave us his teaching to continue and to carry forward. So this is what Paul's focusing on through this entire letter to achieve these two things. So if you're a part of the church, and you have this, this tension personally with it being maybe stale or, or obligatory or, or lacking of whatever you think it should be, I, I encourage you to spend more time in Romans um, and listen to this text today. Um, if you're not a Christ follower, if you're, you're a skeptic or you're kicking the tires, you know, you're, you're here for the, the freak show, who knows? I mean, like, it's fair. <laughs> You, you feel, you know, if you're, if that's where you are, you feel that kind of all of, 
you know, that, that all you observe is kind of judgment and, and separatism of a bunch of people that just don't want to get infected or want to look down. Um, I pray that the heart of God and the gospel somehow breaks through as well for you in today's text. Because for both of us, for all of us, that's our opportunity today. So go ahead if you haven't already. Open your Bibles to Romans 15. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 today. Uh, we'll have the passages on the screen as well. Um, if you don't have a physical Bible and would like one today, there's one near you under a chair. Um, and then if you don't have a Bible at all, please take that. That's our gift to you. But we'll be looking at Romans 15, 1 through 7 today. And while you're turning there, just to remind you, um, this year we've committed to prayerfully pursue this idea of seeing every street reached in our communities. And, and what we mean by that is looking at each one of us represented in here as the people of God called together as the Bridge Montrose on mission with Jesus, that each one of us will be able to look outside of our doors if you live in a house, looking from stop sign to stop sign. If you live in an apartment, looking from stairway to stairway and saying, I, I am going to offer my life. And by the end of this year, I want to have a, a, a personal gospel intentional connection with each one of these doors. Again, not, not, not trying to be the weird, like go and, and ask those those kind of door to door questions, but, but, but be intentional and form relationships so that we can love, come alongside live out truth, and speak truth as the Lord leads, and see what he does with that. And so we've committed to that this year. We've already had some great stories of that going on. But this, you think about this, living in gospel unity within the church, living on gospel mission uh, to the world, this, this leads us to be this sent family of God. Jesus said, as I am sent, I am sending them. And, and therefore, we live gathered, and we live scattered. And we, and we use this axiom here, every Christian or every Christ follower is a disciple maker, and every disciple maker is a missionary with a mission filled to claim. And if you are in Christ, if you call Christ to save your Lord, this is Savior and Lord, this is inescapable for you. Praise God for that. This is your opportunity to see that it's not just about some label or category, it's about a relationship with God through Jesus, and then to be of Christ's follower is to come on mission with Jesus. He said to go and make disciples, so we commit to that, to, to bring the gospel as well as walk alongside. And we, we think of ourselves as missionaries. Just as Jesus was a missionary to our world, he came into our context, took on our culture, took on our realities, so that he could bring them life. This is our opportunity. So we see in gospel unity that we live as those absolutely bound together by the work of Christ. But we also see gospel mission that we live as those absolutely overtaken by the cause of Christ. So in unity, the work of Christ, on mission, the cause of Christ, and this results in like this very natural kind of this pulsating gathering and scattering, right? And so this is where we're at today. Hopefully that gives us some momentum and motivation into this text. And uh, I want to pray and then we're going to read it in full. God, we love you. We thank you for... Um, just once again, a time this morning to come in just as we are. Lord, um, seekers, sojourners, rebels, children, um, Lord, those that, that need you and have found that need satisfied in Christ. Lord, I pray for all of us, uh, whether, whether it is the, the person who is just kind of trying to see what this is about or the one who's been walking with you uh, forever. God, I know that there is a new opportunity, opportunity today 
for each of us. And so, God, I pray right now that hearts, minds, lives will be open, Lord, to your truth, to your goodness. Lord, I pray for my words. I pray if any of them are not yours, just to scratch them from the record, God, and for you to speak directly to our hearts, minds, and lives, Lord, that you can be glorified, that we can be transformed, that we can be liberated, all for your glory and all in the name of Jesus. So, Lord, we give you this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I want to pray. I just pray. I want to pray again. I do, but we're going to read instead. So let's read Romans 15, 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of your Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That's good. So if you've been with us the past couple weeks, um, this first verse of, of, of telling the strong to, that you're, they're obligated to bear with the weak, these, these terms are familiar if you've, been, if you've been with us the past couple of weeks. Um, and, and so just to kind of, if you haven't, just to remind us, when we're talking about weak and strong here, we're talking about it in, it, it's rooted in the spiritual reality of those who are in Christ. And you got to think about what was the way that the people of Israel thought they came to God, that they became acceptable to God, was through the outward acts of keeping the law and, to, and, and the rituals. And so, and, and then for the Gentiles, there was just nothing before that. It was just whatever felt good, you do it. And so, the, so what we're seeing here, in this, specifically in this context, there were some, some Jewish Christians that were still feeling like they needed to do certain things to be acceptable to God, instead of what we see all throughout Romans, that our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, saying that it is what Jesus has done, not what we have done, that we become acceptable, that we become acceptable before God. So in the terms of weak and strong, the weak is the one who still thinks that they have to do something to be saved, that they have to achieve something to be to earn God's favor. The strong is the one who realizes that it is all from Jesus and for Jesus and, and, um, and by Him. And so, just to make sure we're clear there, and up to this point, like I've said, it's been it's been a spiritual matter. Um, but today, we're going to take it farther. Where it says here for the strong that they're obligated to bear with the weak. I want to be really clear with this. This is not they're obligated to put up with. They're not obligated to entertain or to patronizingly kind of accept among them. This word, this word to bear with, it is to take up in your arms, is the word picture. It is to scoop up, to take up in your arms and hold and to assume responsibility. And it has this, this posture, this air of caring and benevolence. Uh, for them. And so again, it's affectionate. If you go back and read through just the last chapter and, and kind of leading up to this, we see this call to love one another with family affection. So again, it comes from this deep sense of care. And for the strong, those who understand that our right standing before God is not by us, we are to come along and bear with so that they can find 
that freedom, that wholeness, that strength as well. So today, this text will show us three reasons why the strong should bear with the weak. Three reasons why the strong should bear with the weak. In the teaching here, what we see specifically, we can see that the strong and the weak, this theme of the positions of power, those who are in positions of power, you know, we think about that as, as spiritually, which again has been the main focus up to this point, but we can also apply it culturally, economically, socially, and the, these that are in those strong positions are to use that position for the good of others, for the good of others around you, not just their own gain, not just their own Comfort, and so that's what we're going to kind of unpack today. And really, that could be the sermon right there. There's enough there for us to walk away with and just apply. Like, okay, so how do I use all that I have, all the places where I am strong, to benefit those that don't have that same uh, privilege or power that I have? And so, again, up to this point, it's been very internal uh, amongst one another in the church, the family of God. Uh, and we, we've seen that by using these family terms, brothers and sisters, and uh, the, these these uh, these ideas. And again, to understand that it is only in Christ that we can be given that relationship with one another. He is the one who makes us belong to one another to that degree. But if you look at verse 2, what does it say in verse 2? It says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So now Paul is taking what was internal, what was family, and now he's applying it to everyone around us. This word neighbor, I mean, if you look at the, the, uh, the Good Samaritan parable in Luke 10, we see the question was, well, who's my neighbor? He's saying, who am I responsible for? And basically the answer that Jesus gave, your, your, neighbor, your neighbor is anyone and all that have need around you that you have opportunity with. That's your neighbor. So again, if you ever think that Christianity is insular, it's only about just us, then we've missed the heart of God. We've missed the very picture of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus. And so we see that now it's being applied. And so now we think about the strong and weak positions of power, spiritually, culturally, economic, socially. We see it getting much bigger than the opportunity. And some of the, you know, it's funny the way too which you can process that. It can be terrifying and burdening. Or it could be, oh my gosh, what a great opportunity. Like, it's limitless. Like, everywhere I look, it's like, there's opportunity, and guess what? God wants to use me in it, and, and it's going to be fun. So, why do the strong bear with the weak? The first thing we'll say, the strong bear with the weak to build them up. The strong bear with the weak for their benefit, to build them up. So let's play this out in a few cases, in a few areas. We see this in these first two verses already. So we're going to look at this first. Like, okay, first let's start where Paul started, spiritually speaking, your faith. Your faith in Christ is not just for your hope. It's not just for your good. It's not just for your, your eternal salvation. Praise God, we get every one of those in Christ. Praise God, that's the promise of the reality that we actually have an opportunity to experience and live in, but that is not the end point. We are saved, yes, for our own good, but we are saved for God's glory and purpose. We are saved to take on the cause of Christ, as we already said. You're being transformed more into the likeness of Christ. Therefore, with that being the case, you should be more and more concerned with why he came to earth. So it's not just that we're getting more moral, we're getting better at being moral, we're actually taking on the heart of Jesus more and more as we become more like him, as we walk in obedience, as we, as we experience the transforming truth through the Holy Spirit. 
Those become more like him, we actually become more concerned with why he came to earth. Why did he come? He said, I came to seek and save the lost. And he said, as you do that, and he left us his parting words, he told us to go into all the earth to make disciples, and bringing them to salvation in Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all, teaching them all to obey all that he has taught us. So our faith is not just for us. It is for God's purpose, which he came to receive glory through redeeming his creation. Okay, so that's one. Uh, thinking about another financially, um, our finances. I mean, if you don't know this, let's just follow the logic here. If God created all, he created you, he created all, he created for his glory, for his purpose, and he's the sovereign over all things, then guess what? Everything you have is from God, it's for God, so therefore it doesn't belong to you, it belongs to him. Right? So all that you have, including your finances, down to the very last hay penny, if we're going to go back a couple of centuries, like it's every, I mean, all, every bit of it is not yours. Not yours. I mean, you are just, you're just a placeholder for it. You're a steward of it. It's not yours. It is a gift from God. It is a gift. So hear this too. If we're going to hear that, I want you to hear this. This is really important. He gave you every dollar you have. So you shouldn't be sheepish about having it because then we start going down this road of how much money should a Christian have. It's like, well, I mean, if God's given it to you out of your life of pursuing him, you're supposed to have it. So then what matters is what you do with it. So don't be sheepish about having it, but make sure you commit to use it for his purpose. So the question I would love to invite us all into is how can you use your money to enrich and lift up those around you. Enjoy what he's giving you. Don't feel guilty for what he's giving you. Be prayerful. Trust that he will lead you. Be surrendered and open-handed every day. And as the Lord leads, just say yes. That's the best I can give you. We cannot prescribe that, you know, this age to this age you should have this much money. This age to this age you should have. Now if you have this, if you have a wife or a husband, then you have this much money. If you have kids, then you should have this much money. That's that's not how it works. We live a life in relationship unto God, and he leads us, and he puts us all in specific needs and context so that we can be used there to influence the people that we have around us for their good and his glory. So if we all try to do it the same, we're going to narrow the niche in which we can be a part of bringing the gospel to. So that's the best I can give you. Be prayerful. Be humble. Enjoy, enjoy being generous and sacrificial. If this is a part of your church, if this is your church, we want to invite you to be a part of supporting the ministry of the church by being obedient to give. We don't we don't know what people give. Oh, there is one person because they have to, but but most of us don't. Um, but and we don't tell you how much to give. We say enjoy giving like Jesus did. Give joyfully and sacrificially, but also knowing that not every bit of kingdom work happens here at the bridge or through the bridge. But uh, and so also enjoy opportunities to be generous and sacrificial in other ways as well. So, okay, and then church leadership in life, um, we as elders of the bridge, we're not here to make the bridge our little pet project or, or like the thing that caters to our needs. I mean, I was having a conversation this week and we're talking about like in kind of view of these, this last chapter of bearing with one another in love, not, not squabbling over debatable things. Like just to be, let me tell you a little something, I don't love everything about the bridge. I don't, I don't, like, I don't, I don't, I don't get to have it all my way. 
because we lead as a plurality of elders, we live as a priesthood of believers. Because we lead as a plurality of elders, because we live as a priesthood of believers, I don't get it all my way. And I thank God for that, because if I did, we would be worse off. I would be worse off. And so it's not our pet project, it's not our little personal passion project even, and it's not ours to just make our little thing that we enjoy. We have a responsibility to, 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 to steward the leadership God has given us for the purpose that he's given us in this place and this time with these people for these people. And this church must be a place that encourages and equips Christ followers as well as engages the skeptic and the outsider. So we don't get to say it's just for us. We have a purpose in this world. And so we're called to step out of what is comfortable and what is familiar. And guess what? It's not just for the defined leadership of the church because guess what? We all have a stake because we are what I just said. We are the priesthood of believers. We've been made that in Christ. So each of us have a stake in making sure that our church is good for building each other up within as well as those outside. So we want to use where we are strong to, to benefit and build up the weak. And then the last thing we'll look at, or the second to last, relationships, which is kind of related. There's such a strong message in our culture today to only surround yourself with people that are your cheerleaders, with people that, that you know, are, that make you feel good. And, and I'll just, I'll tell you this, that's counter gospel. Like, Jesus anguished over the people that he lived with. He anguished over them. Ha, I mean, he says, I mean, how are you not getting this yet? Like, I've shown you my life. And again, part of it is God's design, but he's, he's seeing this. And then he, he went through suffering for the sake of. And so we don't have this luxury either. We don't just get to pick those that are easy around us. Now, again, with open hands, with grace, just like your money is God's. Be prayerful, be humble, and make sure to do surround yourself that are going to challenge you, that are going to sharpen you, that are going to encourage you. But it's not just about that. Um, as Christ poured himself out for us, we must be willing to engage with those who drain us. Personalities are personalities, and they're just, it's not some big flaw of somebody that makes them drain you necessarily. It could just be you have different personality types, you have different ways of communicating. And so if we just end up operating just on kind of personality compatibility, and what again, what are we going to be? What are we going to have? What's our basis of life? It's you. It's me. But we have another to follow. That's Jesus, who took on those that were so different than him. Right? Because he was God. Yeah? Yes, he's fully man, but he's also fully God. So I pray that we're able... To, to walk into any given environment instead of asking, are these people I will enjoy? That we would ask, how can I help these people? Or, or, or who might I be able to come alongside and serve in some way? And you know, so instead of just always asking, how am I? It's how am I at loving others around me? How am I at being humble and generous with those around me with my time, with my emotions, with my energy? And then lastly, where you work and where you live is another thing. Uh, simply put, instead of asking, where will we be most comfortable, where will we be most conducive to achieve my goals, it's, it's this simple question, but, but life-altering, where could I be most useful to God and others? And they may end up being in the same place. That's great. But let the Lord lead that, uh, not your ambitions. Okay, let's keep moving. 
Um, as Paul often does, he calls us to our greatest example, and who is that? That's Jesus. So uh, 15.3 says, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. So we saw that the strong bear with the weak so that they could build them up. We also see here the strong bear with the weak to follow the example of Jesus Christ. So Paul gave us an imperative. Now he showed us actually the way. He gave us a picture because most of us can't see what we haven't seen. Uh, we, we just can't. And so he said, here, look to Jesus. You've seen it. And so Jesus is the one who we already said came to serve, not to be served. And again, let's just wrap our mind around that. Like, if he's Gandhi, that's, that's cool. But he's not. He's God. And so for, for God to say, I came to serve, not be served. Right? That's, that's different. And that's who Jesus is. And so that's a big deal. So he came to serve not to be served. He's the ruler and creator of all creation. He was there in creation. He did not consider equality with God to be held on to. Right? We see that in Philippians 2. He didn't say, this is mine, I'm going to keep it. He couldn't have. He laid it down and he humbled himself. He took on the form of humanity and subjected himself to the, to the limitations of, of humanity, taking on pain, taking on the sensations that come with that, and then even unto death. And a horrible, humiliating death on the cross. So Christ did not please himself. And believe me, that his humanity, he came as fully God and fully man. He felt it. He said, God, if there's any way, take it from me. I don't want to endure this. This is bad. This is rough. I don't want to experience the pain, or, but more importantly, the separation from you. But your will, not mine, be done. God's purpose, his glory, and their good over his own his own desire. And when Paul quotes Psalm 69.9 here, where we see the reproaches were put on him, we see a picture in Psalm of a good and righteous man enduring undeserved punishment. And we see this applied to Jesus. And when we see it applied to Jesus, we see that his love for God motivated him to endure the mocking, the torture, and death for the sake of those that were his enemies and his love for God, as I already said. He, that's why he did it. He did it for his love for his heavenly Father, and he did it for his love for you and me that needed that. He did it to serve those around him. I mean, so just the joy. Think of the joy of identifying with your Savior. If you've called on Christ, think of the joy of identifying with your Savior. The one who's redeemed you. The one that gave all for you. I mean, like, if you've, if you've connected with that reality of what your great need was and connected with the reality of what was overcoming Christ, what a joy to find any moment where we find ourselves being like him. And make no mistake, that's the work he is doing, is making us more like him. Every time we pour ourselves out, we identify with Jesus. We become a little more like him. And we accomplish a little more of his purpose. And it's, we've got to see that Jesus is both our model and he's also our motivation when it comes to this. And this is from the most mundane thing to the most extravagant acts of faith and humility. I mean, it's, it's from, to use a little bit of a shameless plug, it's from serving on setup and teardown, right? No special skill, no offense. 
<laughs> just takes waking up a little earlier, sweating a little bit more, dealing with these rollout things, those are the worst. To what Mother Teresa gave her life to, to go into a foreign land, to maybe even giving your life. Jesus is the model as well as our motivation. Jesus showed us how to live so that we could follow him. Jesus gave us all. He gave all to, he gave his all to redeem us. So prayerfully, as we become like him, we end up giving more of ourselves because of our great affection for him. Uh, and, and kind of leading to this not being able to help it. That's, that's, that's kind of the invitation. It's like, be prayerful, walk in obedience as you know, and, and kind of let your life be a result, a fruit, if you will, to borrow some language from God. Um, he's smarter than me. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, to let it be the result. We'll come back to that in a second. Um, to where you, you can't help but want to live lives that are overtaken by his purpose because you've experienced that purpose every day. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This next verse, verse 4, is an encouragement to me in a couple of ways. It says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So first I'll say I'm encouraged to this. I gave you a little preview of this earlier, is that I'm not the only one that chases rabbits. Do you understand how Paul got here? He's talking, he just quoted a scripture, and it's like all of a sudden he's just got to take a moment to talk about scripture. So he's chasing a rabbit just so I can val- like validate myself a little bit. He's chasing a rabbit. So he's so. But you know, granted, Paul's rabbits are definitely me- they're meatier than mine. I know, but uh, but I am comforted by that nonetheless. And and so secondly, the thing I'm curious about is this rapid trail that Paul goes down. It's about the Word of God, and so let's follow it quickly. And I'm thankful for uh, for Timothy Keller for kind of articulating. These, these, these three things about Scripture. So the Scriptures are... So first thing we see in Paul referencing uh, Psalm 69 and this little, this little rabbit trail about it, we see that Scriptures are entirely applicable today. They're not dismissible as if they're not current to culture. They're not current to our needs. The past was written to teach us is what Paul says. And guess what? They're present was different from that past as well. You have to see that. Like it was, it was a challenge for them too, just like it is for us. So this truth claim bears on us too. We can't dismiss this truth claim as again saying, "Oh no, that was just for them." Like they're they're facing that same reality. So in other words, anything preserved in Scripture is preserved to teach us something. When Paul says everything, he is teaching what is known as the plenary inspiration of the Bible, right? That that came from God. Every bit of it is designed by God for us, and every bit has lessons and applications. And that's why it's important to learn how to read Scripture rightly, and we would love to do that with you. And then secondly, we see the Scriptures are centered on Christ. Now, of course, not every verse in the Bible is directly talking about Jesus, 
but looking at the way Paul used Psalm 69 here, and we see actually this, this verse referenced in Jesus a couple of, a few times in the New Testament, we see that, that Scripture, all of Scripture, points to, G, points to Jesus. We see that. We see that, it, that it, it, it culminates in Christ. We see that it has a trajectory of pointing to the reality of the way, uh, the way in which God intends to redeem his creation. So we see that scripture is centered on Christ. And then lastly, if used properly, the scriptures will increase hope in us. The two ways in which scriptures uh, do this are, are through the endurance that we see here, which means, um, which means that the, the word of God calls us to a way of life that takes discipline. Um, uh, but then also at the same time through the encouragement, which means the scriptures make incredible and precious promises and let me just give you the first one you need to understand is that even though we're called to hard work, that work never results in our salvation. Yeah, and we've said it here a bunch. God is not against effort. He is against earning. Earning, earning defeats the gospel. It, 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 it nullifies it. Go Again, go check out Romans 6 maybe a little bit. Romans 5 and 6 and 7 and 8. All of it. So... Yeah, and so uh, so we see that. And so if we're willing to listen both to his commands and his promises, um, we'll see that we get an increased hope, which is a joyful persistence in life. Okay, so Paul rabbit trails over, hopefully minus two. The strong bear with the weak to build them up and to follow the example of Jesus. Let's finish our text to see our last reason. Uh, verses five through seven. Says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So he's a subtle yet unmistakable truth on the authority of Scripture is presented here. Did you hear how Scripture was referenced? It says the encouragement and endurance of Scripture, and then may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you. So notice that it's through endurance and encouragement of Scripture that we have hope, and now that God is the God of endurance and encouragement, we see that Scripture belongs to God. We see that Scripture expresses His character and commands, and Scripture carries His authority. So don't miss that. But before we answer the last why that the strong should bear with the weak, we must answer a couple of hows of how we do this, how this can happen. So Paul shifts focus back from this, this full this full on external and internal back to kind of our relationships within the church to finish this. So verse 5, and we see that as he says, harmony with one another. So he's calling the attention back in because, again, this the unity within is, is absolutely part of the way in which we will live gospel mission to the world. 5 and 6, don't miss this, are prayer. May the God of endurance and encouragement. That's the, this is prayer language. He's praying for the people of God and for their purpose in this world. So what is Paul praying for, right? What is that? That we would have harmony. That we would have the unity that can only come from Jesus Christ. This unity, don't, don't, don't miss it, is a gift from God by the Holy Spirit. We see it's granted to us. It comes from a common following of Christ. This is our unity. This is our harmony. And that, that following of Christ is empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit, which we see at the end of verse 5 there. So unity is much more, as we kind of already alluded to, is much more of a byproduct than a, than a direct pursuit. So what is our direct pursuit 
that brings unity. Guess what? I'm looping around again. It's Jesus. We pursue Jesus. It starts with him. We said last week, when we, the work that which we are building up, Jesus is the, is, the, is the motivation. He is the means as well as the point of what we build up. So we pursue Jesus, we pursue him actively and humbly in relationship as well as, as well as wanting our lives to conform to, again, who he is and what he has given us to do. This is why it's hard for passive Christians, so those who just kind of live culturally or by name only, it's hard for them to experience uh, unity and joy. Again, think about uh, the, the work of endurance and encouragement. How can we really experience you to be joy if we're not if we're not actually pursuing actively. Verse 6 says that together you will with one voice. And let this call us to see that the church is plural. It's plural. It's never it's never expressed in the singular. We must be a people that gather together to worship. And if you look over here to your right, you'll see on the left, shared life, shared worship, shared service. This is the postures of life that we pursue to, to live in, to see that the, the, the full opportunity is not just in our, our organized gather times, it's also just in life, and it's also in the fact of not just uh, being not being like communal, but it's also in the, the shared giving of one another. And then we also see kind of the, the spheres in which we... But again, in... in and the personal disciple-making, personal relationships are key. Uh, transformation groups is, again, really central to how we pursue to do this to well, uh, together. And then, of course, uh, uh, worship gatherings like this and other organized events. And so, again, it's the full gambit, but we, it should be a necessary marker and characteristic of the people of God that we naturally and purposefully and intentionally gather together. If our unity is in Christ, it, it makes sense. So, as verse 7 says, we accept one another then, for what? For the glory of God. So our last reason that the strong bears with the weak is for the glory of God. And as his creation, as his children, as those who, who have a, who he is holy and, and, and majestic and above all, like no other, and yet he is also entered in to be near and personal. That, that's our greatest motivation. That's what we're created for. So, the strong bear with the weak for the glory of God. It is the strong bearing with the weak is when this happens that we're able to worship together, singing the praises of our God as a people who are being built up more into Christ's likeness. Again, we talked about it the last couple of weeks, so I won't try not to go into it a lot, but thinking about all of our differences how difficult would it be to actually gather together in unity without the common bond being Jesus, the common desire being the glory of God? As we do this, we're unifying the spirit, truth, and love. When this reality overtakes us, we are able to extend that truth and love of Christ to the ends of the earth. God is glorified not only in our individual lives or our individual church community, but he is also glorified across all of creation as more worshipers of him are created, as they are saved and redeemed in Christ, and as they are daily growing in their Christ-likeness. So put it all together. See the big picture. 
See that our existence is a part of God's identity and purpose. See that it's part of his plan. So I want to close by making it really personal and gospel-centric for all of us. So our, our unity, our ability to accept one another comes from our common experience of how Christ has accepted us. Because Jesus did not require us to perform our way into his acceptance, but instead made a way for us, we are able to accept one another as we are not demanding each other to perform either. Did you catch that? So Jesus didn't make us perform. We don't make others perform. Instead, it's what he did, and it's our intentionality that would hopefully introduce them to a loving good God and the redeeming work of grace in Jesus. This is good news for all of us. Just as we started, those who are following Christ and those who aren't, none of us has to or can perform our way to freedom, acceptance, and redemption by God for others. So if you, if you don't know what you think about God, let's just think about your relationship with others. How often have you felt that, that the, the unattainable weight of pleasing that person closest to you? We can't. We can't do that for God either. His standard is holiness. His standard is his perfection. But we don't have to because in Jesus Christ, he died for all so that you could be free from sin and death, so that you could be free from the need to perform. You are not validated by those around you. You are validated by the living God who sent his only son to redeem you. God doesn't love you because of what you've done. He loves you because he loves you. That's amazing. He doesn't love you for what you've done. He loves you because he loves you. And guess what that means for you? You can't change that. You can't change that. He loves you because he loves you. Because God does not accept you for what you've, you've done. He accepts you for what? For what Jesus has done. Today, if you need to, trust in Jesus instead of yourself. So God, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. We thank you for the truth that we don't have to perform to be accepted by you, Lord, that you love us because you love us. And we pray that you would instill your heart in us, that we would accept others in the same way, that we would, would anywhere where we have strength, that we would come along others that have less strength and be a part of building them up and encouraging them and, and, and bring human flourishing as you desire, God. We pray that it would all be because of Jesus, that he would not only be our model, our moral way in which to follow, that he would be our motivation, or that uh, his heart would be our heart, his purpose would be our purpose. So Lord, we surrender all to you. Let this be a time that uh, is used, Lord, for our transforming good and your glory. Uh, thank you for Jesus in his name.